0: Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Matthew Collar of PurpleInsider.com. Matthew, thank you again for joining me on this podcast. It's a home and home we often do on our podcasts. I'm sure you guys listen to his podcast over there on Purple Insider. Um, If you don't, please go check it out. We're going to have some fun, as we always do, with Matt. Let's start off, Matt, with the real NFL awards. This is the week where... We bestow comeback player of the year, coach of the year, um, all of these tropes that MVP going to the quarterback of the winningest team. And we do the redistribution thing because Mahomes, he's too good too often. We don't need to worry about that. Let's give it to Jalen Hurts. Yay. Um, Let's do our real awards, though. I I gave you some prompts to kind of research and, and think about for at least an hour before this. Uh, I want to ask you about stuff from best in supporting role to best bad team to least valuable player to most surprising performance and so forth. So, Matt, let's start with best in a supporting role. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Let's switch it up. Let's start best bad team. I want to start with the general stuff first.
1: Like, this is like an oxymoron, right? Like, if they're a bad team, then they're bad. Um, But I think that this one is pretty obvious who the best bad team in the NFL was this year. That is the Detroit Lions, that they started off 1-6, and and they ended up with a positive point differential and a better record than a team that was allowed to be in the playoffs in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers which I will never understand why Roger Goodell's National Football League in the year of our football, 2023, is still doing this? Like, why is it that teams with worse records can get in the playoffs? The Lions would have been such a better team in the postseason than Tampa Bay, because I think that people would have actually been a little afraid of the Lions. They were hot, they were on fire, and they had just beaten Green Bay at Lambeau. I mean, nobody wanted to see Detroit at that point. Uh, But the roar was definitely restored for Detroit this year. I mean, it, it wasn't just that, you know, Dan Campbell got the old boys fired up and they were biting kneecaps and all that stuff. They were legit a pretty smart team by the end of the year. And even though Dan Campbell completely botched the game against the Vikings at the end, making a bad decision, when the data came out about coaching at the end of the year from our friends at Sumer Sports, which our buddy Eric Eager works for, they actually had Dan Campbell as one of the better decision makers in the league. And I wonder if that was inspiring to him to mess that one up at the end of the game to lose against the Minnesota Vikings uh, if he put a little more emphasis on it. But also their offensive coordinator is a star, Ben Johnson, and they have weapons all over the field. Their defense got a little more scrappy toward the end of the year. So I think that the way I would define a best bad team is a team that wasn't in the playoffs, doesn't have any respect as like a real contender. But actually, if you were matching up half of the playoff teams against Detroit, you might pick Detroit with uh, considering the way that they were playing. Yeah, before
0: that final game in Green Bay, I thought the Lions would be the team the Vikings probably wouldn't want to face out of that potential group.
1: Oh, definitely! Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, because not only the way that the Detroit played against the Vikings, but also their offense against Minnesota's defense was a massive mismatch. And I mean, you just look at the way Amon Ross St. Brown developed as a superstar, and I think Jared Goff's one of the weirder quarterbacks to talk about in the NFL probably over the last like ten years because he has now led three offenses that rank in the top five in scoring, and yet. He sort of talked about as like the 23rd best quarterback in the NFL, like, oh, you wouldn't want that Jared Goff. And yet, and you look at the PFF grades and then when you watch, you're never amazed. You're always like, oh, well, he sort of you know made a good throw here or there, but mostly just hitting open people. It's not always the most accurate, like even when guys are open, it's not like it's Joe Montana right on the money every time. Uh, And if you ask him to move in any direction in any way, he will just throw the ball directly in the turf. It's kind of funny, but yet the production is tremendous. And anytime he's ever had a good offensive line, because I think that he just has this severe weakness of being able to throw when moving Uh, Alex Smith kind of had this too, uh, but when he can step into a throw, that's why he was the number one draft pick in the NFL. He can make plays and he can operate an offense. It's very Jimmy Garoppolo-ish. So I think that, um, you know, Goff is actually a quarterback that's capable of that. And he has just shredded the Vikings throughout his career. I mean, he had that perfect quarterback rating night in Los Angeles. So I don't know. I guess I've I've always wanted to give Goff a little more credit maybe than the um, the think tank that is NFL Twitter and so forth.
0: I am very much one of the people who have been just dogging Jared Goff nonstop. Um, I've thought ever since he was in LA, he was a creation of Sean McVay and that who he was under Jeff Fisher was more indicative of who he is as a quarterback and seeing what he's done in Detroit. And I understand, and I guess I've been saying over and over that you could put 25 quarterbacks in that offense and you might get a pretty similar output in terms of just how talented the offensive line is receiving core running backs, all of it. And then, uh, obviously, Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, is very well respected. But he's won, he won them games this year. He flat out did. His development, what he's shown in Detroit, has proven me wrong. And especially what he showed this year has proven me a little bit wrong in terms of saying that he's just this trash quarterback. Because yeah, he's. And do you remember Wes Phillips? Wes Phillips just like not unprompted because he was asked about golf, but he really went to the defense of Goff and said that he gets a little more maligned league-wide than he deserves. What did you think of what Wes Phillips said? I think it was back in December.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, when he got traded from Los Angeles, it was sort of this sign that, well, the, the smartest offensive mind in football, Sean McVay, thought he needed to do better. And who can disagree? They won the Super Bowl, and he got one of Matt Stafford's healthiest years that he's ever had, which has always been a problem. The um, bad stretch from Stafford, they was in the middle of the season and they survived it. And then he came up at the biggest moments in the playoffs. But also if you look at that team versus the team from the year before, I think they were number one in pass blocking for Stafford also. And they had had injuries the year before with golf. And I mean, how many quarterbacks in the NFL are not a product of what's around them in a lot of ways. And you know, I think it's like trying to sort of lay out the skill set and the ups and downs of each quarterback and how they fit within the context of what you have. So if you have Penne Sewell and you've built this great offensive line, This guy can win you a lot of games. He got a team to the Super Bowl in a very similar situation. And it's like, well, you know, he just had McVay and everything else, but he also had to play great in order to get there. He had to lead a game-winning drive uh, in the playoffs against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I know it should have ended on a pass interference, but when he got that chance, he did it. Like Drew Brees didn't lead the game-winning drive. Jared Goff did. And uh, the same thing with going to Lambeau. I think most people would have said, oh, well, you know, here's where... Goff's going to choke and the defense is going to get him and so forth comes through with big plays, you know, on fourth down to win that game in Green Bay. So he's, he's done a lot of things in his career that I've been really impressed with. And I think because of that trade, the reputation is and there were stories, too, about how McVay would talk in his headset, which, by the way, everybody does. All the offensive coordinators and coaches and uh, Kevin O'Connell has told us this before that before a touchdown that uh, I think Adam Thielen caught that he said, you got to look for this particular defense or this look and look for Thielen in the end zone. And then it was executed, but that's not like totally unique. But when the story came out, it was like, oh, Goff just needs McVay to read the defense for him and so forth. I think he's got a pretty big weakness of not being a playmaker at all just that pure pocket quarterback. And sometimes they have limitations, but if you're talking about somebody who just kind of plays point guard and distributes the ball, like he does pretty darn good at it. And man, if, I mean, he throws a good deep ball. We've seen that in person before against the Vikings. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I've always thought that because of that trade, which was totally understandable that they were looking for somebody who could take them to that next level with Stafford. And I don't think there's any question Stafford's more talented but uh, I think that Goff deserves at least a little bit of credit for putting together a phenomenal offense. And if they had had a little better defense, they would have been uh, not just the best bad team, but maybe one of the best teams.
0: Yeah, certainly ending Green Bay's season will uh, have Vikings fans rooting for him a little bit. It was interesting in the Vikings clean out their locker room clean out. Or no, it wasn't that. It would have been before um, some open locker room period. I'd overheard some Vikings players talking about rooting on Detroit in that game, not just because of the hatred for Green Bay, but because they just genuinely liked seeing some of those guys get success because of how how downtrodden that entire franchise has been. Um, we'll spend less time on my pick for best bad team. I just wanted to ask you about yours more because it's in the division, obviously, and Detroit is an interesting team. But mine's the Jets. I think the Jets are a quarterback away. I think that defense is phenomenal. I think Sauce Gardner was – Uh, You just don't see that from rookie corners too often. What Derek Stingley did in Houston where he just played nine games and had really middling returns, that's generally more of what you see from rookies, uh, especially at corner. We hear so much about how hard that transition is. And so for that kid to come in here and do what he did, plus that front seven, um, just the coaching from Robert Sala, and if they can get the offense figured out around a quarterback, super talented offense, um, I I think they're one of the best teams certainly, um, in, in, uh, in football, if they can get that spot figured out.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw Garrett Wilson and of course, every receiver looked good against the Vikings, uh, as long as they caught the ball when they were wide open, which didn't always happen. <laughs> Darius Slayton <laughs> dropped one, uh, that would have ended the playoff game. But, yeah. um, Garrett, Garrett Wilson though, I thought was special. It wasn't just the Vikings defense being bad. He made some legit catches that were contested run after catch, anybody who they add at quarterback there is going to have immediately a true number one receiver. I think with Wilson taking another step for next year, I guess the question for me is, and then I I agree with you across the board that a lot of parts of that team were good and McKay Becton should come back for them. And Brees Hall is going to come back for them. That's a pretty stacked roster, but who do you think will be the quarterback? Because I There's a debate of, you know, does Rodgers not want to go to New York to just not follow what Brett Favre did? Or does it even make sense for the New York Jets to go with Aaron Rodgers, considering they have a young roster whose window could be open for years? But maybe if uh, he's given a better team, because I think that Packers offense really did fall apart around Aaron Rodgers, could it be Brady to Tampa Bay-esque, where we all thought Brady was fading in New England, and it turned out it was really the supporting cast that no longer could Brady just make everybody into a superstar. But if you gave him Godwin and Evans and a great offensive line, and then you gave him a great offensive mind to Bruce Arians, that he could take a team to the Super Bowl. um, Is that going to be the case with Aaron Rodgers going there? Because I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to Las Vegas, I don't think anything's happening there. I, I mean, I think that they're like a eight win team or something. The division is just so hard. And that team stinks. Like, and it's not like yeah. the Jets where you get dropped yeah. into a really, really talented roster.
0: No, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Raiders, the Devontae Adams thing would be, you know, nice to kind of pair together and think that it could be good again. But I just don't know. There's such a, with with Davis running that organization, and I'm not a big McDaniels guy either. So wouldn't be too shocked to see that falter. But Rogers in the Jets, I mean, I know you don't want to do the whole Favre thing if you're him, but... That would be a pretty good fit, even if it's like 50% of what we're used to seeing from Rodgers. Can I give you
1: two other real quick uh, bad, good teams? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Miami and Baltimore, I think, were both legitimate Super Bowl contenders whose quarterbacks got hurt. Uh, I mean, like their rosters, their coaching, how they were built, all of the signs of teams that could potentially compete for the Super Bowl. But Lamar Jackson didn't play the whole season. And I know Tyler Huntley was a pro bowler. And that's uh, important, you know, that we need to talk about how (laughs) good of a season he had to get into the pro bowl. But uh, I don't think he was very good. And (laughs) it's, you know, but the, the, you know, they played with him. uh, They're one huge mistake away from maybe even beating Cincinnati in the playoffs. And I think that speaks to their coaching and their, their team strength overall. And they're going to face some huge challenges if they bring back Lamar on that massive contract. But Um, I thought they were a great team and they just got two years in a row of bad breaks kind of reminds me of uh, early nineties, Philadelphia Eagles when Randall Cunningham kept getting hurt and they had these unbelievable defenses and great teams. And, you know, they were throwing in Jim McMahon and all sorts of random quarterbacks just because that, you know, what are you going to do after uh, Cunningham got hurt? Same thing with Lamar Jackson. I'm sure there's a more recent example, but that's the first one that came to mind. And uh, same with Miami with Tua and the concussions and, of course, they made their own bed with that and bringing him back too early and then having it happen. But uh, both of those teams, I thought, were were actually phenomenally built and just had bad breaks.
0: Yeah, what Mike McDaniel did in his first year was was really impressive. And um, I, I like Harbaugh a lot in Baltimore. All right, give me two more or one or two more teams. Who is the worst good team?
1: you got going to make me say it? <laughs> Does it have to be said? You guys have talked about this, right, on the show?
0: I think we might have mentioned, you know, that that people didn't believe in the Vikings or that, you know, maybe we should question them once or twice.
1: The uh the the Davoa <laughs> D V O A. Yeah. And and how they were 27th in that, which is, you know, that's probably absurd. I mean that they weren't the 27th team no. in the league. I understand how that's, that stat works and what it says, but um, you know, that, I don't, I don't think it's exactly like a ranking system in the way that some people use it, but it's more of like trying to tell you that some of their yardage and the competition and so forth did not really speak very favorably. uh, And you know, the point differential, it speaks for itself. Look, if you can't outscore the teams you play over a full season, you're not that good. There's just no argument for you being a great team. If you can't outscore the other team and anybody throughout the year, I'm sure we all fought this battle because fans wanted to believe. And I totally get that. Like who would want, and I I just understand this. Who would want someone like us being like, nah, No, (laughs) you enjoyed that win. No, you didn't like who wants that. Right. But uh, at the same time, we have to live in reality with uh, what the numbers say and what we also see, which was we were watching one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL that just did not ever get better. So how could you really argue that this team was a legit contender? But the number that I like to use is 260 to describe where the Vikings stood this year the 1998 vikings which i think uh unless you grew up way back when would be everybody's best vikings team they've ever seen that's how much they outscored their opponents by 260 so you were 263 points different than the 1998 vikings i think that makes it more clear that no this was never a good team uh it was a it was a probably a middling team that had everything go right for it in all the one score games and it is it is what it is but that's what they were i would have loved to have said the giants but i couldn't say the giants because the giants beat the vikings in the playoffs and uh you know otherwise i would have gone to san francisco and or santa clara and so forth and covered another playoff game uh but to me there was there was only one answer for this question and it was unfortunately the minnesota vikings
0: i wrote down a second answer tell me how much of a hot take this is and by you know, worst good team. I'm not talking about necessarily just the talent on the roster. Just how were they in 2022 in terms of the collection uh, from coaching to talent, all that. I would say the Chargers were one of the worst good teams. And I say good as in 10 and seven, you know, snuck into the postseason, blew that lead. I remember Asante Samuel Jr. picking off Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence being so God awful. But I think the Chargers have just been one of the most disappointing teams from top to bottom year after year. And I understand Justin Herbert is young, um, but you need to capitalize in the window that you have him on a rookie contract. We see this over and over. And I think they
1: continually underachieve. Well, I am accepting of this pick because they were my Super Bowl pick. And I know how dangerous that is to pick the 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 afc vikings for going to the super bowl which is you know the chargers and their histories kind of match up with all the travesties in the playoffs and many good years but very few great years Uh, I I think that that's correct. You could make the injury excuse for them and you wouldn't be wrong. I mean, they lost Rashawn Slater for a good portion of the season, had a lot of injuries up front, which I think was part of the reason that it was like, uh, you know, Justin Herbert checking down way more often than you'd like to see. The offensive coordinator is going to get the blame and we'll find out, I guess, if it's him or if it's a Justin Herbert thing, because there's a part of me that thinks that like that sort of um risk aversion as we have seen right up close on a fourth and eighth checkdown uh there is a risk aversion that is sometimes intrinsic to the player and I mean uh, you know we bring up Alex Smith like look how many regular season games Alex Smith won but a lot of times in the playoffs, it came down to the guy wasn't willing to kind of put the ball up and make a special play. And I wonder, and, and and there's no question about Justin Herbert's arm strength. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. And the highlight reel, when you look at a couple of the greatest throws that he's made, it just blow your mind. But we saw this up close when the Vikings played the Chargers, where even though he made a couple of spectacular throws, there were just times where he was very safe. And I don't know, like, is that going to be something that's changed by the offensive coordinator? I'm not sure, but I agree with you that when they went into the playoffs, I never looked at that team as being like the real contender. Oh, they can go to the Super Bowl. You just figured they, they weren't quite strong enough and you know, they got it going a little bit toward the end of the year, but not, not a, not a special team for a team that was hyped up as this year, like, oh, this is the year that they're going to take that step. They got Khalil Mack. They made all these moves. So it was disappointing for my Super Bowl pick. And I agree with you that in the in the long run, they'll only be remembered for this season for just blowing a lead to a Jacksonville team. It was pretty good. Uh from
0: my very layman perspective, I do like the Kellen Moore to to LA move. I, I think he was kind of the scapegoat in Dallas, obviously, and unnecessarily fired, but they had to fire somebody. And he didn't, and Jerry Jones didn't want to fire Mike McCarthy for whatever reason um all right let's move on to least valuable player um i'm gonna start with mine because i think it's i think it's fairly obvious um it was matt ryan with the indianapolis colts and i judged this based on somebody who has the most opportunity in their hands inherently has to be a quarterback um but somebody who has is around the ball a lot or has it a lot and just continually was one of the main reasons why their team was just awful and who could have seen it coming, right? The Falcons were interested so much in winning and moving on that they sniffed around Deshaun Watson. Matt Ryan said, I I want out of here, please. Even though I'm just in the very end of my career. And he had nothing from the very start tying against the Houston Texans. They somehow win against the the chiefs, which was one of the most just mind boggling performances of the entire NFL season. Um, And to see what he did against the Vikings at us bank stadium, Getting essentially handed a thirty three nothing lead by having to do almost nothing on offense and blowing it um and getting Frank Reich fired. and i don't I don't know if Frank Reich's a great NFL coach. I think he's probably a good NFL coach who got dealt a pretty bad hand with a new starting quarterback every single season. And that's why Carolina scooped him up to bring a guy back home. But to get that guy fired, bringing Jeff Saturday of all people, but that didn't matter because Matt Ryan, no matter what, was going to be awful and and i think without question he was the least valuable player
1: yeah you're right that this probably just has to be a quarterback uh carson wentz has a pretty good argument for this where washington traded for him thinking well if we got seven wins out of taylor heineke maybe we can get nine or ten out of carson wentz because he's better than taylor heineke apparently not (laughs) i mean carson wentz has sort of devolved from uh mvp candidate in 2017 by 2019, the Eagles had questions, but he still like played okay and got them to the playoffs. I think they were nine and seven, and some of his numbers were decent, like QBR, or even touchdown interception ratio. If you like that in your life, like it wasn't like horrible. And then he goes to Indy, and there's ups and downs, and then they blow it at the end. And then goes to Washington, like literally can't play anymore. It's just like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I think this would be Russell Wilson, though, because, I mean, what a disaster that entire thing was. And they're going to blame Nate Hackett, and maybe they're right. Like Nate Hackett seemed like from day one that he was way in over his head, and I think that even just mismanaging like the first couple of games with the clock sort of lost confidence from their team and the players that, uh, that he could do this, and Russell Wilson, I also think that He kind of looks like a little bit Donovan McNabb with the Vikings, where the guy, once his physical ability starts to decline, he just can't do it anymore. I mean um when running around and making plays is such a big part of who you are as a quarterback because wilson is not really a true drop back in the pocket he's you know i mean he is short uh that he can't like just sit there and so there's a reason why seattle love to run the play actions and the bootlegs and stuff to get him a little bit of help i think rolling him one way or another and then he was creating out of structure all the time and making amazing plays we didn't see any of that Whatsoever in Denver. And he was out multiple times with injuries. Like, I don't know what Sean Payton is getting himself into, but the guy's probably not going to be Drew Brees in the future. But there was no move bigger than that one in the offseason. And I think people were not insane to think that, wow, Denver's like really going to compete now because they just won whatever it was, eight games with Teddy Bridgewater. So they should really take off now with Russell Wilson and maybe a little bit of a warning. See after Stafford happened in L.A., it was like, oh, this is the thing you do—you build up your roster, you get somebody else's old quarterback. Brady did it, Stafford did it, and then with Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, like hit the brakes. That might not be the case anymore. So yeah, I think—I I mean, I think it does have to be a quarterback, but um, unless you want to say Ed Ingram and just like hit the the drum thing, to, like <laughs> he did. Hey, here's a stat for you on Ed Ingram, though. If you're talking about least valuable players. In the entire existence of pro football focus, which is since 2006, no guard has allowed more sacks in a single season than Ed Ingram did this year. There are several others that tied with him over the history of PFF tracking sacks allowed by offensive linemen at 11 sacks. So more than a sack every other week allowed by a guard is very hard to do. Uh, That might give you a case for least valuable player.
0: Another, another off-season of interior O-line talk. I really cannot wait for the entire every week of that to pop up because, yes, Ed Ingram was was just awful, just awful. Um, I, I can't argue with Russell Wilson. The only reason I didn't pick him, I guess, is because, one, Matt, we saw Matt Ryan in person, and as you know, some of those performances just leave an indelible mark on you. And Matt Ryan's performance at U.S. Bank Stadium on December 17th, I will never forget where I was because it's kind of like a national tragedy almost. I mean, not really, not to belittle those, but like it was so bad. It just stuck with me. And so I didn't see Russell Wilson in person this year. I think that's why um, I made the trip to Denver for the preseason finale, but he did not play in that game, unfortunately. So he didn't leave such a sour taste uh, in the uh, football uh, world here in Minnesota for me. But um, that is a good pick because, man, that team was loaded before they traded Bradley Chubb um and got a year older. We'll have to see what they do moving forward. Um, All right, let's move on. Next one, best in a supporting role.
1: What do you got? Uh, I will go with, uh, I think there's two choices that are both playing on Super Bowl Sunday. And one of them is Travis Kelsey uh, playing the supporting role of, I mean, you could argue he's their main weapon and so forth, but obviously the centerpiece of that entire team's existence is Patrick Mahomes. And he is the Scotty Pippen to the Michael Jordan. I mean, I am nonstop amazed by the things that Travis Kelsey does. And just like with Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, you're like, well, he had Jerry Rice, but he had Joe Montana. It's like, what if they were both amazing? Uh, and it just made them, them even stronger. But the off-schedule stuff where they find each other, the route running that the guy has, his ability to catch just about anything, the toughness. I mean, he takes you know, hits over the middle. They're not like they were in the nineties or whatever, but there's a lot of people gunning for him on every single play. And he still finds ways to get open all the time. I think Travis Kelsey is like a lock hall of famer. One of the best players of our era that gets relatively overlooked. Like people know he's a star and so forth, but relatively overlooked compared to, you know, Patrick Mahomes. And the other one would just be all five Philadelphia Eagles offensive linemen for best supporting role because Jalen Hurts is a spectacular runner and is improved as a passer, certainly helps both of those things to have the offensive line do what they do. Any team that can be fourth and two in QB sneak or second and three in QB sneak or whatever, uh, he's got time to throw. They're one of the best teams passing on third and long, which I think is an offensive line stat as much as it is a quarterback stat because that's when it gets the hardest. That entire unit is dominant and their center is a hall of famer Their right tackle is a hall of famer uh that is that is just a phenomenally put together offensive line that's actually been good for years and it's that's hard to do to put together an offensive line that's been good for many years so i think those are the best supporting roles for the teams in the super bowl at least
0: yeah i'd written down it's it's funny you mentioned travis kelsey i'd written down jason kelsey um (laughs) because i just think like you said, the, the fact that they can still do what they do at, with that O-line with some of the same names that we saw five, six years ago in the playoffs winning a Super Bowl, um, it's incredible. And the only other one I would go to and looking at it more of a much background role, I guess, than Travis Kelsey um, would be like a guy like Tony Pollard, somebody who didn't barely even let his own backfield in snaps. He played 49% uh, of, of the snaps for Dallas and was 19th in yards from scrimmage league wide that that guy's really good and Jerry Jones got stuck paying a washed running back now and Ezekiel Elliott and kind of they feel like they have to keep feeding him to justify that contract and they're keeping down a guy in Pollard who probably could have been top 10 in yards from scrimmage or should have been because he's that electric for Dallas I I didn't like what I saw from Dak this year um even before the injury that that thumb injury that made him miss six games Um, I I just feel like that Dallas offense is really carried by its backfield so much. And Pollard has made Ezekiel Elliott's regression, not hurt that much for them. I mean, they're still a potent offense, even though they've got some washed receivers and Michael Gallup, um, and James Washington or whoever the heck they brought in after trading Amari Cooper, um, outside of CD lamb. So, um, for me, um, I guess I would, I would go with Jason Kelsey or, or a guy like Tony Pollard.
1: Yeah, I also had uh, Kirk Cousins for supporting Justin Jefferson, uh which uh, <laughs> I like that. Maybe a little bit tongue in cheek, <laughs> but maybe also not. Um uh and uh Doug Peterson for supporting Trevor Lawrence because he got absolutely no support whatsoever from uh Urban Meyer. All right, Matthew, let's finish it up here. We've got two more. I want to know your most surprising
0: performance of the 2022 NFL season this could be season-wide from one player this could be just one game you remember any direction you want to take it
1: yeah I mean I think that there's a pretty obvious answer that was a good place to start which would be Brock Purdy that last year's draft had only one first round pick in Kenny Pickett And we had spent the entire draft season talking about Malik Willis upside, Desmond Ritter footwork, a bunch of other, you know, whatever guys that were kind of middling and debating whether those deserved a first round pick just on the basis of them being quarterbacks, because I think that everybody knew they weren't great, great prospects, but it was like, well, anyone kind of go for it and we'll see if it pays off for Pittsburgh for getting the one first-round quarterback in Kenny Pickett. I'm not sure, but the rookie quarterback contract certainly carries a lot of power. But for Brock Purdy, he was not even a part of those conversations at all. He was not part of the discussion or debates or should they take this guy or that guy. He was completely forgotten. And when San Francisco picked him, he was Mr. Irrelevant. Everyone kind of went, ha-ha, about it and moved on. And for him to come in and win a bunch of games, and not only that, but it wasn't a Nick Foles or Case Keenum type thing where you're like, I don't know, I think that's kind of a house of cards that'll eventually come down. He looks like a pretty legit quarterback, and of course, it's helped out a ton by the receivers and the head coach that they have, and the way that it ended was miserable for him with uh, UCL surgery. But he really played. I mean, he made a lot of good throws, plays out of structure uh, that we saw, and then operating the offense, getting rid of the ball quick. We have seen many a mid to late round quarterback come to NFL training camp and Kellen Mond, uh, who does not know where to throw the football. They don't get rid of it. They don't know how to operate the offense. They're not in command or in control at all, and it just ends quickly. And for Brock Purdy to step in in the middle of a game, against Miami and be ready to play and go win that game and then carry that on. Super, super impressive for him to do that. And I don't know what San Francisco is going to do in the future here, whether he's going to be their long-term quarterback or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to be a pretty legit NFL quarterback. I mean, I'm not saying Hall of Fame or anything like that, but I think maybe just... He fell off the kind of hot quarterback uh, radar, is not the tallest guy or anything like that, but certainly showed that there was more there than the the draft community believed.
0: As somebody who wants Trey Lance to succeed, I grew up near NDSU, you know, from Minnesota. Uh, I ha- I hate that I have to agree with you because, yeah, Brock Purdy, I think he looks the part of exactly what, um, if you put Mac Jones in that offense instead of what perhaps a light version of him would have looked like. Um, just dealing, kind of throwing the ball all over the place. So I think he's he's looked great. Other than that, I would have said Geno Smith. I don't think, I mean, for the obvious reasons, right? Like, who saw a 4,000-yard, 30-touchdown season coming from this guy who was competing with Drew Locke, switching off reps in training camp, had everybody burying the Seattle Seahawks as just goners, and at least they scrapped their way to the playoffs. Um, they They really have somehow been able to come out Not only as winners because Russell Wilson looks bad, but legitimate somewhat winners uh, after that Russell Wilson trade, in part because of Geno Smith, a big part because of Geno Smith still getting the ball out to guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who uh, are among the best duo in football. So if it's not Brock Purdy, yeah, I think it's maybe just Geno Smith and that's about it.
1: Yeah. I, this year, I think like outside of the Vikings winning all these crazy games and stuff like that, that I don't think many people had the Vikings as a 13 win team. So that would be one of the surprises of the league. I think just as surprising was that Aaron Rodgers couldn't elevate anybody that, I mean, before the season, when you go back and look at the predictions, everyone across the board had green Bay winning the division. And why wouldn't you 13 wins in three straight seasons? And you know, you're okay. You're losing a receiver, but the defense was supposed to be good. They drafted somebody, they brought in a couple of bodies. And of course, those statistics were out there like, Oh, when he's without Devonte Adams, he's still a very good quarterback and everything else. And from the outset, the first game of the year, like, Oh, this team might actually be very mediocre and they got it going a little bit, but in only games where like Tua got concussed and then threw him the ball and uh, they played some bad teams and sort of got some wins, but, um, and then the one against the Vikings, which you can decide whether you think that's impressive or not. But, um, in the end, they were just a mediocre middling team that is in the, in the hunt graphic. And I I guess it was one of those. I'll need to see it to believe that an Aaron Rodgers led team would actually be mediocre, but they were, (laughs) You know, they were along with Matt LaFleur, of course, who I think has done a generally great job with that team. So that I think came as a surprise. How about this one for not surprise to me, but I think maybe to the outside uh, predicting universe is that Kansas City was the best team in the NFL, Um, because I think after Tyreek Hill left in the trade that I mean, you go back and look at some of the predictions and people, of course, that I follow who cover Kansas city or Kansas city fans have tweeted these. A lot of people had them finishing third, fourth in the division after Russell Wilson showed up Uh, there, there are receipts. This really happened that there was a a thought that, you know, getting Chandler Jones, Devontae Adams would elevate the Raiders and that the chiefs would fall off. Again, this wouldn't be me. Uh, I was still picking Kansas city and, and will until Patrick Mahomes retires. It worked out well for me to just pick Brady every time and um so I'm going to go with Mahomes the same way. But the best team in the league, I think that even I would have thought they would fall off a little bit even though they'll still be great and they'll still be there in contention, but to get the number 1 seed to be in the Super Bowl, I mean, I, that that's I think a, a thing that a lot of people didn't see coming that maybe when you look back at it you're like, "Ah oh, yeah, Mahomes, but Still, I, I think that that surprised the league compared to where they thought they would be in the beginning of the year.
0: Low key, are the are the Chiefs' receivers the biggest band of misfits in the entire NFL? I mean, Marquez Valdez Scantling, Kadarius Stoney, Juju Smith Schuster—those three guys alone. Um, I mean, these—they're just all these like random bits and pieces you might find. I those are receivers I expect to find at Goodwill.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it, it does speak a little bit to sort of team building theory in a way where we've seen a lot of these uh, high end receivers get traded. Um, you know, some maybe had a good argument for getting the ball more often, <laughs> like Stefan Diggs. Uh, but with the prices going as high as they're going, there's just no way. Uh, for a lot of teams if you have an expensive quarterback like Patrick Mahomes to be able to afford someone like Tyreek Hill as well and this is a Justin Jefferson Kirk Cousins down the road comment that eventually they can't play together I don't know when that's going to happen but it just can't happen at some point because they're going to be too expensive you're not going to be able to spend 30 or 40 percent of your salary cap on two players and everybody kind of knows that um But I also think that when you get into the playoffs and the defenses are good and there's pressure on the quarterback and there's good corners, that it really often comes down to who else you have that is able to step up that's just beyond your main guy. And for Kansas City, there might be somewhat of an argument, and and of course it's reverse engineering after we know the results, but like somewhat of an argument that their offense was too much focused on Tyreek Hill and that spreading the ball out and giving it to Kelsey mostly Um, might actually be a more effective or just as effective method as having an elite number one wide receiver. And, you know, I mean, someone like Juju Smith-Schuster, it's weird with wide receivers, isn't it? Where Christian Kirk gets like 20 million a year. Smith-Schuster was a pretty decent player and just got nothing. And Valdez Scantling, another guy who probably had a case to make more money than he did uh, based on his history. And then he shows up didn't, I don't think he had a great year, but he certainly had a, one great playoff game. Uh they draft the guy Sky more, like maybe having four guys that are good outdoes having one guy that are great, that is great.
0: Well, especially when you have the best quarterback in the NFL. Um, yeah, you do you do not need Justin Jefferson if you are Kansas City. This dovetails well, though, into the last category I had, which not rookie of the year that's overdone, overplayed, uh, or tired. Um, let's do old guy of the year. This could be anything. This could be a player, coach, whatever direction you want to take it. I will go with a player and a coach on the same team. The team we were just talking about, Chad Henney and Andy Reid. And not Chad Henney part, little tongue tongue in cheek, right? 98-yard touchdown drive in that playoff game, buoyed by a 39-yard run from Isaiah Pacheco and a roughing the passer penalty. Uh, Chad Henney threw for just 23 yards and the touchdown on a 98-yard touchdown drive for the Chiefs in the playoff game against... The Jaguars, right after Patrick Mahomes suffered that high ankle sprain. So he came in clutch for them. Those 23 yards and touchdown were pretty clutch. But the bigger point I'm getting to, to your point, is that Andy Reid is should be coach of the year, even though he's not even a quote unquote finalist. Um, that guy continually puts together great teams, great offenses. He does it with Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. It just doesn't matter. He is one of the best coaches. And the fact that he hasn't won coach of the year in Kansas City is a travesty.
1: I mean, it's just funny because I believe there was a stat that every single year that Andy Reid has been in Kansas City, they've hit the over that they have never gone under the Vegas expectations since he's been in Kansas City. I mean, that's mind-blowing, right? Like That is, yeah. yeah. Considering how much teams go up and down, and that's even with the years that they had Alex Smith, that he's always outperformed expectations. I think that's a really good way to evaluate coaches, actually, over a long haul. One year, as we've seen, can be weird or random, but if your coaching consistently is elevating your team past where the outside world thinks you're supposed to be, it's pretty impressive. Even if you have Mahomes, you're still topping those numbers and, and outperforming that. I Yeah. Andy Reid is a, is a great selection. And I think that the world just gets bored with these guys. Like Belichick didn't win it every year for a while and probably deserved it every year for a while. Uh, It's like, oh, who kind of surprised us? Although I will say that Sean McDermott, that team had a lot of injuries. They literally had a player die on the field and have to be resuscitated. And then they came back and, uh, you know, managed through that in a really, really excellent way. And I don't know that that team was really a 13-win team, um, considering all the injuries that they had, the lack of weapons outside of Stephon Diggs that kind of fell apart for them. They're bringing back Cole Beasley at the end of the year. Their, uh, their Pro Bowl safeties both got hurt. Vaughn Miller got hurt. Like, they had kind of nothing left. And I wasn't shocked when they got beat by Cincinnati because of how much they had been through. Uh, But I think that he... Uh, is very deserving of that but not an old guy so it doesn't fit with what you're asking Uh, do you know how many seasons Robbie Gold has been in the NFL
0: (laughs) I was looking up before this the oldest guys in the NFL so I did stumble across his name but I didn't see how many seasons it was how many
1: Robbie Gold has been in the NFL for 18 seasons (laughs) and you know what still nailed both of his 50 plus yard field goals this year I got to Got to give credit to Robbie gold for having a great season for the um, San Francisco 49ers. I would also say a man who is young at heart, but certainly old in real life. Pete Carroll had a pretty good season this year. And I think that even though, you know, look, they went nine and eight. Okay. So it's not like we're putting a ring on them or something, but that's not a great team. And it was coached pretty well, I think this year. And I think that there's like always an attraction to younger coaches coaches who have not done anything yet like all oh, the, the younger guy he must be more progressive he must be whatever and uh cliff kingsbury proves to us that that is not the case all the time and sometimes a lot of these proven coaches they're not perfect and everyone knows their warts by the time they've been in the nfl for as long as they have like with mike tomlin or with pete carroll but they still do a really good job and they know exactly how to get a winning team out of a pretty average roster. So I thought I thought Petey um, maybe took a couple of years off his life in a good way. This, you know, turn back the clock a little bit, seemed like a very happy guy by the end. And uh, he deserves a lot of credit too. Maybe not like coach of the year, but just deserves a lot of credit for an old guy still out there doing it. I love your Chad Henney pick, by the way. I mean, what a, like that guy just always prepared. He is a postseason hero. Put him in the ring of honor in Kansas City.
0: That's a second ever postseason appearance has never started a postseason game. But, yeah, as you mentioned, previously made one appearance for them in the postseason uh, in a win. Uh, when would that have been 2000? Uh, it was uh, tw-
1: 2020 against uh, Cleveland where he converted fourth down. And I think he also ran for a first down um, yep. in that game to set them up for the win. What a memory. Yeah. Chad He was 30.
0: He's 37 now, I think, or something like that um yeah 37 almost 38 turns 38 in july this was not a good year for the nfl senior class of players like the old players uh tom brady aaron Rodgers, uh joe flacco matt ryan um and then yeah it's just guys like robbie joe
1: flacco i mean we don't talk about that one that one's sad (laughs) you can't even beat out mike
0: white and zach wilson he like, did you catch some of his act? He looked like he didn't want to be out there in moments yeah. for the Jets. Like yeah. he literally looked like, why am I doing this for yeah. this coach, this team? And I suppose he was like the same age as Mike LaFleur, or maybe older than Mike LaFleur, their um, their their coordinator at the time.
1: He's just collected checks. I would also say it was a pretty darn bad year for Bill Belichick. Now, when you look at their overall record, it wasn't that horrible. I mean, they go eight and nine. They had a positive point differential. But some of his choices this year in the off season to have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge pretend they're offensive coordinators, that just seemed like Belichick trying to prove to the world that uh, no matter what he does, it'll just work because he's a yeah. genius. And guess what, Billy, uh, not when you don't have Thomas Brady. that's uh, that's a different story. And And just like Mac Jones, in his first year I think showed a potential to be a similar quarterback to what we talked about like Jared Goff or something like a distributor of the ball and uh, kind of a game manager that you could probably win a lot of games with you can't win a lot of games when he has horrible receivers terrible offensive design all these things like I don't know what Belichick was thinking and when you look at his his fourth downs, his timeouts, like all these things that maybe Belichick was once ahead of the curve. The NFL has sort of gone by him. And uh, I don't know if we're ever going to be talking about Bill Belichick in the same way as the most genius, untouchable coach in the NFL. I thought, I thought it was a really bad year for him as far as like looking old.
0: Yeah. Brady winning That Super Bowl in Tampa Bay right away, and then Belichick doing this with the Patriots certainly skews how we're going to look back at um, their time together, maybe who was more responsible for it. All right, Matt, one more thing for you. I didn't know this, but I saw this on social media because this is the only thing social media is good for. Um, Somebody notified um, or found out that NFL teams are on Yelp. They get reviews like they're a restaurant. They get ratings like they're a restaurant. I found out a lot of it's like internationally. It's for people who travel in for these games, right? And are just reviewing like what the stadium was like and all this stuff. But there are a lot of angry fans as well that like to voice their concerns and people that must think that, I don't know, this is the official way that the Vikings are going to check whether or not fans are, you know, happy. I I don't know. A lot of interesting stuff. But I want to ask you quick, who do you think is the lowest rated team on Yelp?
1: Um, If it's not... Well, Washington, I think probably has a pretty good case, but I was thinking Chicago for, uh, their stadium is kind of trash at this point. That's why they're going to build a new one. Um, if people have heard the story, the horror stories of the press box food, um, that's, that's a joke just for us, but, uh, uh <laughs> you know, what, like, like Chicago is just not a very enjoyable place to watch a game it's not the easiest stadium to get to the traffic is horrible it's not like right next to hotels where you can take a quick uber or walk over like you have to get stuck in traffic in order to get there uh do not enjoy the experience of chicago that that would that would be my guess i'm thinking about like i've never been to houston why would i go there um yeah i don't know that would be my pick is i think chicago is just miserable
0: Fans are overwhelmingly positive when it comes to rating these teams, one through five stars. Um, you're right, right, dead on. Washington, two and a half stars, the lowest rated. They're the only team that doesn't even have three stars. Every team's got three or more stars. Every Everybody's just super positive in the ratings. The comments, not so much. And the Bears, you were right, have the most comments of all NFL teams at 93 and none of them really are positive. So you've got that going for you in terms of nailing pretty much both of those. Um, I found the Vikings it's boring. it's it's fans I guess don't really in the
1: middle where they rank in everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's three and a half stars. It's, it's very uninteresting. I just thought it was funny that Washington predictably at the very bottom uh, and people argue about Chicago and, and having to get into that stadium because soldier field, It's a, it's a weird spaceship on Lake Michigan that no one uh, really enjoys getting to or from, but all right, Matthew, well, thank you so much for joining again, everybody check out purpleinsider.com podcasts, written articles, all of his work is great. Um, Please go check that out for listeners of this podcast. uh, Matt, thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And I look forward to the next time you're on and we can play some more ridiculous games. <laughs> some
0: Stefan Diggs tweets. I need I haven't looked up his Twitter account lately. I gotta see what's going
1: on there. Uh it's always it's always deep, is the way I would describe <laughs> it.